On Sunday mornings, we are going in a series, through a series rather, called Growing with God. And the whole basis of that series is that God desires for us to grow. I know you know the hymn, Just As I Am. And I agree that Jesus wants you just as you are, but you cannot think of a person in Scripture or in the church body that Jesus has ever left the same. When you follow Jesus, He is changing you and reshaping you into His image. Peter, who had first-hand experience of this, said this. He said, continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter understood growth, and he understood that the people of his church should grow. And so we've been going through this series talking about how we can do that. First, talking about giving up. We have to give up ourselves is the first step. Unless the seed dies, it remains only a seed. But when it dies and is buried in the ground, it produces much more than just a seed. Then we said you have to seek light. If you want to uh, grow, you have to draw near to the presence of God. You have to draw near to the promises, as we just sang about, of God's Word. And that light gives you the strength, the energy, the knowledge, the wisdom uh, to grow and mature as you ought to. And then last week, we talked about it was necessary for you to grow up. Christians have, a, have whatever stage they are, whether they're a new Christian, just been baptized this last year, or they've been a Christian for 40 or 50 years, should be seeking to grow and mature in their knowledge of Christ and in their relationship with Him. Um, today, we're talking about staying rooted. Um, here's the problem I don't know if you recognize uh, this. I have several of these in my office. It's kind of a youth group yearbook, if you will. Uh, when I was the youth minister for many years before they fired me from that job, they, uh, they, I would take all the pictures of all the different activities that we had, and they would just kind of end up in a file on my computer. And so I started asking some people if they would help me make these uh, scrapbooks. And you can do it digitally online now. And so it's really cool. This one is from 2012. And you just look through. It doesn't have every single picture, but it has most of the things that we did. We did this year, you know, teen camp. We were doing stuff over spring break. And we had uh, middle school, high school devos. You know, a lot of the same stuff that you do now. And I'm taken back on a trip down memory lane and it was a lot of fun. Here's the Christmas project from 2012 that no, nobody can see. Um, but the odd thing about these youth group yearbooks, if you will, this one in particular is 2012. So the only people that recognize or remember any of the people in those pictures and those events are me and maybe this year's seniors. You would have been seventh graders. As I look across the pages of those pictures... There are some that greatly encourage me where they are in their walk with Christ. Some of them are in ministry and serving the church in different ways. Some now have their own children and um, sort of getting payback for their younger years. Uh, they, but it's, it, it encourages the heart to see the growth that they've made. But some of those pictures, if I can be quite honest, discourage me and dishearten me. Because there are some kids in those pictures who are adults now who are not walking with Christ, who have left his body, the church, and 
I wonder, what, what happened? Where, where did we go wrong? How did we miss them? Uh, this is not just, by the way, a youth group sort of thing. Uh, maybe perhaps you've been here more than 10 years and you've wandered down to the member board and you see pictures of people that are probably still on the membership list, but you haven't seen them in a long time. Or you go to lunch or have coffee with somebody and say, how are things going? And say, you know, we're just not connected like we used to be. Those, those points, those people points are difficult. Uh, looking back and, and saying, what happened with that person or this family? What caused them to walk away from Christ? This is not just a youth group thing or a church thing or a Northside thing. We're watching this happen within the nation. The, the fastest growing religion when people identify the religious group that they belong to is the nun category. And no, I don't mean N-U-N. I mean N-O-N-E. Not affiliated. Nothing. And increasingly we're learning that those who are checking the nun box are people who've been in the church, raised in the church. Their parents are trying to do the right thing and bringing them, and, and they're being taught and they're hearing the word. But for some reason it's not sticking. It's not taking root. You ever sit back and ask yourself, why is that? What happened? Maybe, maybe it gets more personal. Maybe you have a child or grandchild that has not remained faithful to the Lord. And you beat yourself up wondering what happened. We're going to talk about this today. If you've ever run into that, I hope you'll open your ears for the next 20 minutes as we talk about the problem of staying rooted. Turn to Luke chapter 8. Now, Luke chapter 8 is where Jesus begins to tell a story. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, you can just raise your hand and uh, reach that hand forward and grab a pew Bible. Turn to the page 1023. At Northside, we really want to help you grow in Christ. And the way in which you do that is to get the Word. Now, you can hear the preacher say it. I'll have some on PowerPoint. But you need to be able to do that for yourself. And if you're unfamiliar with the Bible and it's intimidating, just grab one of those few Bibles, use the page number, use the table of contents, but be in the Word. It is what has the power to transform. This particular story is called the parable of the sower. And Jesus is talking really about more than sowers here, but that's whoever wrote that little title and there got the credit for naming that story. Luke chapter 8 Verses 1 through 8, and I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Of, uh, English Standard Version. And when a great crowd was gathered, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell along the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now you, 
You, of course, probably most of you know that a parable is simply a Bible word for a story. But it's a story, more than just a story, it's a story told told with a purpose. I know you've heard some preachers tell stories and say, that's a really funny, entertaining story, but I'm not sure how it connects to the lesson. I'm sure it doesn't happen here, of course, but you've heard preachers like that. Well, Jesus told stories when he taught. And sometimes when he told a story, the people around him, even the people closest to him, his students, sat around and said, what's he talking about? Peter's over here like, I don't know. Gardening? I don't, I don't get it. Why is he telling this story? In some cases, Jesus would explain the parable. He would say, here's the story, here's the point of the story. And thankfully for us, he explained this story. Look in verses 9 uh, of Luke chapter 8. We'll continue for Jesus' explanation. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to, sh- to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others... They are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable, the meaning of the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. And the ones along the path are those who have heard. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy But they have no root. They believe for a while and in a time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, those they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with Patience. You see, it was not, as Jesus told it, a story about a sower. It was really more than that. It was about the seed. The seed, he explained quite clearly, is the word of God. But even more than the sower and more than the seed is the soil that the seed plants itself into. The soil represents the human heart. You'll forgive what I will call the cheesiest clip art ever in a PowerPoint But it's the best I could do. Because this is what Jesus is saying. That when you look in a youth group, or when you look in a church, or when you look at a member board, or when you look at people in the world, your family, your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers, Jesus said essentially there's four kinds of soil. When God's word is shared and spread and shown. There's four kinds of soil. The first is so hard, it doesn't even take root in the ground. I mean, it's just along the path, it's hardened, it's impacted. These are people with hard hearts. For whatever reason, their story has hardened, their life has hardened, their sin has hardened. Things have hardened them that keep them from being too, their heart is just crusty. And it doesn't let the word impact their heart. There are three other soils that are very different. The soil, uh, the, the soil, the, the rocky soil is that which allows the seed in, but there's no depth to it. It's very shallow. Maybe they're depending on other people for them to have faith. And when those other people, when something happens to them or when something happens in their life, they're separated from that person, they have no root. They haven't, the roots haven't gone down. And so you realize that it's been pretty dry here in Kansas lately. And if you don't have plants and trees that have their roots way down, this has been a tough time. 
Because those roots go down and they seek the water that's way below where you can see it, way below the surface. And there are some people in their faith that their roots aren't down. And when a time of dryness hits in their life, in a time of testing, they wither up because they don't have the roots to sustain it. Then you have the people who the, the, the word takes for a little while, but then they begin to choke out their faith with the worries of this life and the cares and the pleasures of the world and, and they're trying to grow, but they're all choked by the vines. What's interesting to me is that in, in the, the first one, I don't even count because I, I, mean, I want to address them, but not in this sermon. We got three people that the word went into their hearts. The word is planted in three of their hearts, but the word is only productive in one of those. Jesus is essentially telling the story as saying, listen, when the word goes out, the odds are not good. Now, you look at the context of Luke chapter 8. Luke starts out by saying there were huge crowds following Jesus. There are people coming from town after town to follow him. Jesus, you need to know, was a popular guy. I think people loved to be around him. They loved to listen to him. He had good personal skills. But Jesus knew even amongst the crowds that followed him, many would turn away. The saddest verse in the Bible is John 6, verse 66. At this time, many continued to turn back and no longer followed him. Did people walk away from Jesus? Absolutely they did. And they still do today. Now, if Jesus, the Son of God, can preach God's Word and share God's Word and show God's Word to people that he's living with, and even Jesus has this kind of success rate, how are we to expect to do any better? The challenge is that we want to make sure that our hearts are the fourth one. Good soil, rooted down, ready for the dry times of life, deeper than the shallow soil, and ready for the time of testing and producing and bearing fruit. Why is it that people have rocky or thorny hearts, shallow hearts or distracted hearts? I give you two reasons. One, they are disconnected from the vine. Jesus, in John chapter 15, verse 5, he's, 5, he says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, you've got to pay attention there. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, there are lots of people who do a lot of things, but they aren't being productive and fruitful for Jesus because they're not abiding with him. You can be, I can, I'm convinced, fill the pew 104 times a year, go to every Bible class offered, every opportunity offered, and not have an abiding personal relationship with Jesus. Jesus said, apart from me, it doesn't matter. You're doing nothing. You're spinning your wheels. So you've got to be connected to the vine. You've got to be personally connected to the vine. It, it's not the pope. It's not the pastor. It's not the reverend. It's not your church. It's not a doctrine. It's not a creed. It's not even the elders, the ministers, or the preacher, or the youth minister. You have to have a personal relationship with Jesus. You have to be abiding in him. And if you're not connected to the vine, just like if you cut off a branch from the vine for a while, it'll look pretty good. may even have some fruit on it, but it doesn't take very long before that branch disconnected will wither and die. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. The second reason that the heart uproots is that it is detached from the branches. Now, I realize in our culture today, it's very popular to say, I love Jesus, but I don't like that church stuff. 
But let me tell you, if you love Jesus, you cannot love Jesus and hate his church. Because if you love Jesus, you love those who he loves. And listen to me now, the church is the one that Jesus died for. It's who he went to the cross for. He paid the price to redeem you and I into his precious body. So when you say, I love Jesus, but I hate the church, what you're really saying is, I really don't care what Jesus thinks at all, except where he agrees with me. You need to understand that the head is just as important as the body. The husband is just as important as the bride when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. Now, salvation does not come through the church. Please don't misunderstand me. It comes through Jesus. But when you are in Christ, you are a part of his body, the church. You have a role to play. You're a part of it. You have something that God has called you to do to help, to encourage, to lift other people up. The verse that was read for us earlier, Ephesians chapter 3. Verse, I'm going to read verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. Let me back that up because I know some of you do are thinking, man, that game's getting close. Hurry it up. Come on. Listen. That may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. You see, it's not just about you, Selfie McSelferson. It is about a group of people that God has redeemed called His church. And it's part of the body life that we have together. To comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. At Northside, we want you to be both rooted in the vine and connected to the branches. So I'm going to give you some things to do this morning that will help you to do that. First, there are three crucial relationships that I think are so important to you in the body life. Now, you say, well, you know, you just talked about being detached from the body. Northside doesn't really have this problem. We have six or 700 folks Almost every single Sunday, more on that on the holidays, but let me tell you gently, there's a world of difference between six and seven hundred people in a room and six or seven hundred people who have a personal abiding relationship with Christ and who are connected to the body of Christ. We've got to be connected to him and connected to each other. If anything, in a large church, and the larger it gets, the harder it gets to keep people connected. Because there's some of you here come from churches where you got burned, and it really hurts, and it stings a little bit. And you don't, you're really a little gun-shy about jumping back into the church world because somebody burned you, somebody hurt you, somebody gossiped about you. And you need to know... Jesus needs you connected to his body, serving and working for his purposes. Don't let the enemy keep you from doing what he's called you to do. So you've got to connect to the body. You want to connect to the body, you've got to have three things that I think are very important. Number one, you've got to have the Pauls. You've got to have somebody who mentors you, someone who models you. Remember the church at Corinth had deep problems, issues that Paul was dealing with. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul interjects this statement. He says, follow my example, as I follow the example of Christ. You see, this church has been in existence for about 20 centuries now, and it's only in the first half of the first century where people had a personal, real connection 
with Jesus. Where they could say, I heard him preach. I saw him walk. I saw him do that miracle. But ever since then, for the past 19 and a half centuries, we haven't had that. It's been one person telling another person, discipling them, helping them to grow and learn who Jesus is and how to live as Jesus taught. And the best way is not to tell somebody, but to show somebody. Somebody needs an example and a role model, and I hope you have one of those. If you don't, you'll be in danger of disconnecting from the body. Number two, the Barnabas is just... Uh, okay, um, listen, I spent way too much time analyzing how to put the plural of Barnabas, whether it was possessive, whether I... I know there are some English people out there who are just going to have a fit, and I thought, I'll just give you a fit early on, okay? You need people who can encourage you. Now, before you misunderstand... When you think of an encourager, you probably think of someone who's uplifting, who's, who's bubbly, who's cheerful, who always has a smile on their face. And those people are encouraging, but there's more to encouragement than that. An encourager is someone who encourages you to keep following Jesus, someone who sharpens you. Proverbs 27:17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Think for just a minute, the sharpening process. You have a sharpening stone, you have a metal blade that's in theory, dull, and you drag that dull blade across a surface harder than it. From the knife's perspective, that's a painful process. Sharpening sounds good until someone sharpens you, until someone cuts you, until someone tells you the truth because they love you and they're trying to help you. That's hard. We live in a world that people, all they want is love and nobody wants truth. And the Bible says you've got to have speaking the truth in love. And what I mean by an encourager is someone who will speak the truth in love. best example I can give that I think everybody can relate to is probably your grandmother or your grandfather. I don't know if they're alive or not now. But they were the person who loved you, and you loved them so deeply. And you both had a common enemy. That was your parents. And you loved each other, but your grandparents would tell you the truth and tell you when you were being an idiot. In the most loving way possible, and Grandma would probably make you cookies afterwards. That's an encourager. That's someone who will tell you the truth in love because they want what's best for you. First Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. An encourager does not mean someone who just tells you what you want to hear. An encourager is someone who tells you what is right. Gives you the courage to keep going. And finally, you need a Timothy. You need a protege. Someone that you're leading. Someone that you're guiding. Someone that you're helping to look more like Jesus. The opportunities are many at Northside. you just got to pick one. You're going to work in the safari wing and be a guide and build a relationship with some younger kids and teach them what walking with Jesus looks like. You're going to help in the youth ministry in Loft 252. Are you going to be a prayer pal? Are you going to fill, it, fill in the blank? Maybe you're a, a leader, a mentor, a guide for your own children, or maybe your grandchildren. Everybody needs someone that they are leading. It's difficult because we live in a world of constant connectedness, and we're so connected here that we're disconnected from everywhere else. Where can we find these kind of Paul, Barnabases, and Timothys? I'm going to give you four suggestions to get connected First, I want to say this, I want to repeat it so you hear me, because all some of you are going to hear me say is that church, 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 church. No, listen, number one is you have to follow Jesus today. If you are not in a relationship with Christ, 
If you have not obeyed Christ by believing and repenting of sin and putting him on in baptism, you aren't following Jesus. You say, but I love him. I, I, I feel like, I, I feel, stop feeling and do what Jesus said to do. If you haven't started that process, we'd be glad to help you. You can do that today. If you're ready to make the commitment, we can help you. You can come down. We're going to offer a song, and you can just come on, and we'll help you begin the process of walking with Christ. If you haven't started that, you need to start that today because you have less time now than you ever had before. Number two, connect to a class. we got a, a large congregation, and we have... Five different, four different classes, Shield, Alive, Focus, Bible Bones, five, <laughs> good timers. We have these adult Bible classes that help do some of the one anothering activities, the praying for and the encouraging, and they have just times where they're having fun. If you want to connect with the body in a deeper way, let me just encourage you, starting next week, to come an hour earlier and join with the class. You're going to learn the Word together, but you're going to live the Word and the things that the classes do together. That would be a good thing for you to do. If you don't know what class to fit into or where to go, you need to speak to my friend Jim Andrews. Jim, where are you? There he is. Now, Jim is a huge fan of, is it Alabama? Roll Tide? Something like that? I can't remember. So you just go up to him and say, Roll Tide, and you'll make him very angry. No, he's a Vols fan. Uh, <laughs> But Jim is the deacon of our small groups, and he is responsible for helping people get connected to an adult Bible class. So if you're not connected, just come an hour earlier, talk to Jim. You don't know where to connect, and we'll be glad to help you get connected to a class. Number three, seek a small group. Now, you know we have small groups ministries, and Justin Harold is our deacon over small groups. And if you want to get into a small group that meets intentionally, purposely, week to week, Justin can help you get connected to a group. Talk to Justin if you're interested. There are also other small groups that meet unofficially. There's a bunch of ladies that help make the funeral meals, or people that help in the kitchen, and they're a small group, not officially per se, but they are working together, serving together, and using their gifts. So get connected. That's an even more personal, more intimate way to connect to other people. And number four, start serving. You've been given a gift. Every person has been given a gift, skills that only you have, a voice and a talent and a perspective that only you have. Will you use that gift only for yourself or will you use that gift to serve other people? We have an involvement minister. He's not here today, ironic. <laughs> but you can speak to Mark Yakely, and Mark Yakely will get you connected to using your gifts in a way that can serve the body and connect uh, to use your God-given gifts. All right. So those are four connection suggestions. Let me give you the grace challenge, and then we'll close them. By the way, I'm so appreciative. There are people of you that are just have their heads bowed, and they're looking intently at their phone right now. And I just... Oh, I appreciate that devotion and that love that you're showing. Okay, now, some people are watching the game. You didn't get that. Okay. The grace challenge is this for March. Invite someone over. This is the monthly challenge. The grace challenge is something we do to stretch your grace muscles. So share your heart and your home with someone else. You say, I don't know anybody here. How do I do it? You, if you're connected, you can invite some people. Invite your whole class over. Invite your part of your class over. Invite your small group over. 
Or if you're not connected with those, I have a list of all the families who placed membership in the last year. These people are new. They need help with connection if you want to invite them into your home. See, it's not about your home. Some people say, I don't do hospitality because I'm bad at it. Our house isn't big enough. We don't decorate fancy week. I could never cook a meal. I mean, the problem is with most hospitality is that you've received such good hospitality that you're intimidated. Do bad hospitality. That's better than no hospitality. I mean, sincerely, order a Little Caesars pizza. Say the house is going to be filthy, disgusting, but we want to get to know you. I'd rather see you making the effort. Now, we've had two grace challenges so far. I don't know if you've taken me up on it or if this is the slide where you say, okay, time to put stuff away, you know. Enough for I've heard all that I need to hear. I don't want to do anything with it. Listen, guys. Grace doesn't mean a thing if we don't act on it, if we don't practice it, and if we don't live it. How our church is going to be effective and connective and make an impact in Wichita and in the world is by doing what we know God has done for us. This morning I want to finish by inviting you to receive the greatest gift of grace that you could ever, that you'll ever receive, the gift of salvation. Through Christ, if you will do what he said to do to open that gift, to believe and to be immersed for the forgiveness of sins, you can have eternity with God. And if you haven't, if you've taken of that gift, but maybe you've found yourself growing more and more disconnected, can we pray for you this morning? Our, our shepherds will be down front to pray for you. I'll pray for you. And we will help you get connected and get your roots down deep because... At the end of it all, this book does not matter nearly as much as God's book of life matters. My question for you is your, is your name in there? Is your picture in there? I hope that it is. But if it's not, we can do something about that this morning as together we stand and sing.